We want to send Eric this morning. Some of you may not know that he is moving um, tomorrow. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm tomorrow. I'm sorry. Oh, turn it there we go. Tomorrow, um, actually, I'm moving to uh, Oroville, Washington. If any of you guys know where that is? It's about three and a half hours away, right on the Canadian border. Um, my whole goal for moving is uh, getting involved in small town youth ministry. Um, so I'm just really hoping that you know God will open doors while I'm over there and you know provide opportunities. So that really answers the question of what we're sending you to. That's what you're sending me to. Yeah, small town ministry, open mm-hmm. doors, a chance to change lives. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how can we specifically be praying for you? Uh, just praying that those doors will open. Um, I'm going over there, uh, you know, new town, not really knowing a whole lot of people. So uh, just that those doors will, will open and I can walk through them and be able to minister to youth in that area. Very good. Very good. We've seen Eric's heart. Uh, he's worked with our students for years, and uh, it's exciting to see him take this step. Uh, big step. Do you, ha- you have a job? Got a job. Do you have a place to live? Got a place to live. Perfect. Yeah. Um, it's crazy how fast things come together. Uh, three weeks ago, I was told I had a job, uh, so that meant I had three weeks to find a place to live. <laughs> Went over there two weeks ago, one day, and came out with an apartment, so... That's it's amazing how fast things are coming together, and you know God wants me there. Good, good, and you're you're following, which is fun for us to see. So we have uh, already taken this picture. We're going to stick it on the uh, on the board, and we'll continue to remember to pray for him as he is in Orville, Washington, close to the Canadian border, doing small town ministry. Uh, I want to encourage you guys go ahead and raise your hands out, uh, figuratively laying hands on Eric. Uh, I will pray for him. Uh, I'll anoint him first with oil and then pray for him. Eric, you have asked or (laughs) been told that you're being sent to this (laughs) 15 minutes ago. Uh, But we get to send you to this, to a ministry that you believe God has called you to and a ministry that uh, we believe that you will do well in as long as you uh, follow God's leading. So we anoint you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for Eric. God, I thank you for uh, just the life you have given him, uh, for the experiences he's had. I thank you, Lord, for how he's listened to your call uh, over and over in these, uh, in these past years. God, I thank you for opportunities that, that come up, uh, doors that open, and uh, I thank you for the willingness for him to step forward through those doors. Uh, Lord, as he has asked, I pray that you would open many more doors for opportunities for uh, your love to be shown and, uh, and told to students in that area. Uh, God, I pray that he would continue to be amazed at the ways in which you move and work. Uh, God, may the, uh, may the joy of, of a quick job and, and, a, and a quick place to live be uh, overshadowed by how quickly uh, kids come to Eric and to the, uh, the ministries he'll be involved in. Uh, Lord, change lives there uh, for you, and we will give you all the glory and praise for that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric. We want to continue this morning with our service with a time of confession, uh, which really is a time of preparation. So we're going to go responsive reading type uh, confession. I will, I will begin by praying a short prayer, and then we'll have a time of silence where you can, in your heart, respond to that prayer. Then when you hear me say, Lord, hear our prayer, you can respond with, we come with humble and broken hearts, seeking the forgiveness that you promise. Make sense? 
So I'll pray a short prayer. We'll have a time of silence. This will be about four different times of this. And when you hear me say, Lord, our prayer, you respond with, we come with humble and broken hearts, seeking the forgiveness that you promise. Let's pray this morning. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Lord, look into our hearts for ways this morning that we have come into your presence not fully prepared. Show us these places. Lord, hear our prayers. We come with humble and broken hearts, seeking the forgiveness that you promise. Father, forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us consuming fires of judgment. Lord, hear our prayers. We come with humble and broken hearts, seeking the forgiveness that you promise. Lord, set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Lord, hear our prayers. We come with humble and broken hearts, seeking the forgiveness that you promise. And God, this morning we confess the things that we have brought before you, the things that you have laid on our hearts, and we recognize that through your word you have removed our sins as far as from the east is from the west. We are grateful for that assurance of pardon. God, as we enter into your presence, perhaps more fully ready now than we were moments ago, we ask that you would continue to move us towards a genuine, heartfelt place of worship of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue our service this morning, um, kind of answering the question, how have you seen God moving? Uh, There's a table in the back with basket, and uh, i give you an opportunity to answer that question. A couple weeks ago, during a, during a sermon, I told you that's one good way for us to prepare uh, our hearts for worship. So this morning, Stacia's actually going to keep playing quietly in the background, and in a, uh, in a prayerful attitude, I'm going to read the cards uh, that were put in the basket, and you guys can hear how God has been moving and how people have been seeing God move. So let's, uh, let's quiet our hearts before the Lord and listen to what His people have seen. There's been an unruly student who has been prayed for to be attentive and to follow directions right away, and it's happening. Praise the Lord. Two young kids wrote that they've seen God move in their heart. Another person says, I see God every day in my marriage. Every day I see my husband, and I thank God for blessing my family with the man he specifically made for us. 
and for giving me the blessings of forgiveness, which I find to be the most God-moving and blessing in my life. Somebody else has seen God move by bringing a counseling office here just when that person needed someone professional to talk to. Another person writes, He's given me the ability to move and carry out the everyday tasks of life. He's provided everything that I needed and more. He gave me joy and peace, even though I have some challenging prayer burdens. Another person has seen God move in the life of a friend who, through the world's eyes, has no logical reason to be functioning healthily or has any other hope. But through submitting to Christ in her life, her family is whole. They're serving Christ where they're at, and they're an amazing example of God's redemptive story. Somebody else saw God move as he saved a good friend from death. He was under his deck at lake at the lake when a tree fell on, on top of it. Someone else saw God move after praying for their grandson uh, in his hunting trip, and he got his first four-point buck. Someone else saw God move in the laughter of their children as they played together as a family yesterday. God smiles as families rest and play together. And another saw God move as God has allowed this person to see a bicyclist before they turned at a green light. Also allowed this person to see the turning of fall leaves into a majestic beauty. God, it is good for us to pause and recognize where you are moving. It helps us see not just your presence in your movement, but it helps us encourage each other and it helps us ready ourselves for the times we come together corporately to worship you. So God, we ask that you continue to move. We ask that you allow us to continue to see that movement. God, this morning as, uh, as a church, we want to lift up uh, Tim and Christy, Christy especially as uh, a student in her class. Uh, father lost his life this past weekend. So we pray for uh, Christy as she has an opportunity to be a light to be God's peace and to bring God's healing in her classroom, uh, maybe even to that entire school. God, we ask that you would move in the family of that, of that child, that, that young man who lost his life. God, your movement uh, needs to be felt in that situation. And God, we ask that this morning, here in our midst, that your movement would be evident. We want to be able to worship you well. And we come to you, Lord, seeking your help in that. God, part of how we worship is by giving back, and we're grateful for what you have provided for us. So we want to say thank you. We want to ask that you use the tithes and offerings that we give this morning for your glory. We ask that you would help us give out of a grateful heart. And we ask, Lord, that through this, your movement would continue to be made known. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
How many of you have heard of the document called The Art of War? Okay, so a few of you, a couple of you guys with military backgrounds are like, yes, I've heard of it. I know it. I've read it. For those that don't know what it is, it's an ancient Chinese military treatise treatise that uh, is attributed to a man named uh, Sun Chu. Anybody know how to pronounce that? Su. Okay, good. See, I can't even pronounce it right. 6th century B.C. And it has been a phenomenal uh, document for military people for years and years and years. The, the text itself has 13 chapters that are devoted to different aspects of warfare. This morning I had planned and uh, written out and prepared last night and uh, again this morning to show you how Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8 fit with this document. All 13 chapters, I, mean, I had verses picked out for what each chapter title was. And, and even in your bulletin outline, you can see it says excerpts from the art of war. Um, it was going to take me 10, 12, 15 minutes to do that. But then last night and again this morning, God was just kind of saying, yeah, said, no, maybe not. Maybe not. So I'm going to choose to listen to him. Although, my guess is if, you know, one of your favorite hymns is Battle Hymn of the Republic or Onward Christian Soldiers, you would have really enjoyed hearing how Joshua 7 and 8 fit with this document. I mean, if, if you love picturing the full armor of God, putting it on and going to the spiritual warfare, um, maybe later after church I'll, I'll share how it fits. But this morning, I really sense God saying, James, don't, don't talk about the art of war with First Church, talk about the art of worship. Talk about the art of worship. Maybe more specifically, talk about the art of preparing for worship. Because as much as Joshua 7 and 8 are about a, a battle, and a lost battle, and then reasons for why, and then, and then going out and fighting again, as much as they're about that, as I've read them this past, this past week, I've really sensed God saying, you know what, there's more to it than swords and arrows and blood and guts. There's an art of preparing for worship in these two chapters. And here's why I think that. At the end of chapter 8, church happens. The last three verses of, this, of these two chapters... The corporate body of Israel gathers together and church happens. So I really think all of chapter 7 and all of chapter 8 are preparing for that moment. So that's what I want to take you guys through. I want to show you how God prepared the Israelites for the corporate gathering to come together and worship Him. I think God wanted the Israelites to be ready for that moment, just as I believe He wants us to be ready anytime we gather together. You know, if you go back to Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, you'll remember God told the people through Joshua, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. I talked about this, this verse a couple of weeks ago and talked about how God was letting the people know, Look, I'm God of the universe and I'm about to move. I'm about to do some amazing things and, and you need to be ready. You need to prepare yourself for my movement. 
their preparation was necessary to fully enter into the worship that would take place as God moved, as they followed the box across the river. They had to prepare for that, to fully experience it. So listen to chapter 7, verse 13. Joshua and all the elders had been on their faces before God because they went to Ai, they got beat, they came back, they, they laid there and said, why? And God told them this in verse 13, get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. Does that sound at all familiar to chapter 3, verse 5? Prepare yourselves, for tomorrow you'll see God do great and amazing things. Get up. Tell the people to prepare themselves, to purify themselves for tomorrow. Sounds familiar? Yes? It, it should. Okay? I believe fully this morning that, that God's not wanting us to gain wisdom and insight into the art of war, but into the art of preparing for worship. Into that art of purifying ourselves to be ready to see Him move. So every Sunday morning for the last five years or so, we've done something called The Gathering. If you show up at 931, which is when we advertise church starting, you will have missed it. But if you show up earlier, you'll know that those who are here gather together and we sing from our hymnals uh, with a piano and sometimes a piano and organ. Now from the day we started, I have pushed that this is not a hymn sing. This is a time of heart preparation for those whose hearts are prepared in that way. Now I realize that not everybody's hearts are prepared through that. But this is just one example of, of a practical thing we do to help us get ready to corporately gather and worship. You see, we need heart preparation. We need heart preparation before coming to the Almighty God in worship. It's part of the art of worship. We need to prep our hearts because too often, I think, we try and do things on our own. Too often we try and come to church and worship out of our own strength. That's what I think took place at the beginning of Joshua chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Beth-Avon. When they returned, they told Joshua... There's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack this city. Since they are so few of them, don't make all our people to struggle to go up there. You see, the spies, they went, and then they came back. They, they gave their report. They made their suggestion, and it appears that their advice was listened to without really seeking God's counsel. That's, that's what it appears because the very next verse says, so approximately 3,000 warriors were sent. Now, I don't know for sure if Joshua and his leaders did or did not gather the troops around the flagpole and say, okay, this is what the spies said, let's seek God and then let's go. It doesn't say they did that in the text, so I'm going to assume that they didn't. I'm going to assume that they charged full steam ahead. Now, if that's the case, I've got to ask, Why? Why would they do that so fast without God's counsel? They had to have remembered that only days before taking Jericho, as we looked at last Sunday, it was a holy moment. 
It was a holy event in the history of Israel. So why would the Israelites now, just days later, why would they assume the taking of the next city, Ai, would be anything less than the same? Why would they not take the time to say, okay, God, this is going to be worship. How do you want it done? I think we, today, as a church, can or at least we have the potential to charge full steam ahead into a Sunday morning, into a gathered time of corporate worship. Maybe we're running a little bit behind. We, we come through the doors. We race to get our coffee. We come in. We stand. And we've already started singing. And, and are we really fully here? I've had people over the nine years that I've been here say, you know, James, it takes me a couple of, at least a couple of songs to really get into it. I'm not knocking that. But is that a statement of how prepared we come? And I wonder, if we don't come fully prepared, is there more of a a tendency to leave thinking, oh, well, that just didn't speak to me today. I didn't like the songs. The message really didn't hit home, so I just, you know, it didn't work. Could there be that tendency if we don't come fully prepared? I mean, could I even be so bold as to say, maybe, maybe we start to question God if that happens over and over. God, why do you have me here? I once felt you moving. I used to think this is where you had me. But I, I, I just don't feel it anymore. It, nobody is coming to me saying that, just so you know. Okay? But I'm, I'm asking questions this morning. I'm wrestling with... Could that be an indication of the fact that maybe we're not coming fully prepared? I saw that in the text. You see, the Israelite leaders, with Joshua leading the way, they prayed something very similar to that last statement I made after their first attempt at capturing Ai had failed. Joshua chapter 7, verse 6 and following. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads, bowed their faces to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're just going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its, from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. Do you hear the tone that Joshua's voice could have? God, why? Why did you bring us out here just to get beat? Why why couldn't you leave us on the other side? What are people going to think of us? They're going to wipe us off the face of the earth. Could that sound a little bit like a selfish prayer? Maybe. So we're focusing this morning on the art of preparing for worship. And I want to suggest that when we don't prepare the way we should, there is the real probability that when we come, we won't realize what we're here to do or who we're truly here to worship. When we don't fully prepare, I think we run the risk of it being all about me, all about us. Our emotional response, our feelings towards the songs, the tingle that goes down our backs. Maybe we'd want to call that graffiti in worship. 
and not art in worship. I think that time in preparation for worship reorients our focus properly. Joshua, even in the moments of perhaps not saying, God, how do you want us to take this city? And even just prior saying, Lord, this really, I mean, why did you do this to us? Quickly shifts his focus. The last sentence in verse 9, right after Joshua says, they're all going to gang up on us. They're going to wipe us off the face of the earth. Joshua says, and then what will happen to the honor of your great name? What will happen to the honor of your great name? I think Joshua was quickly reoriented to the fact that this was a worshipful experience and he may have realized, oh, this isn't about me. This is about you. Worship needs to be about God. Listen to what the prophet Samuel wrote in 1 Samuel 12, 22. He says, For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, but because the Lord was pleased, or because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. The psalmist, in, in the throes of worship, sang out in Psalm 115, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Now in, verse, in chapter 25 of the Psalms, the psalmist also cried out, For the sake of your name, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Pardon my guilt. Father, forgive my sin for your name's sake. This is worship. We're looking at the, the, the art of preparing for worship, and we're looking at it in Joshua 7 and 8. And if we're looking closely, in fact, it doesn't even have to be very close at all, we're going to see that a big part of preparing for worship is confession. Confession of sin is a huge precursor to adequate worship. That's why we started this morning with a corporate confession of sin. And the psalmist said, For the sake of your name, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Confession of sin is is the beginning of preparing for worship. But I'd also say that the confession of sin is worship. It is worship. Joshua 7, verse 19 says this, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. A different translation, I like, I like how it, it says this, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. I think every one of us would equate praise with worship, yes? So Joshua, when he says what he does to Achan, in essence is saying, Achan, it's time to prepare for worship. Let's praise. Let's confess. That word in the Hebrew looks like this. It's pronounced tovda. Now in the other passages in Scripture where that word is used, it's translated choir. Or hymn of thanksgiving, sacrifice of thanksgiving, a thank offering. Or it could be translated confession as it's, as it's used in our verse. 
One of the times, and there's 32 times in Scripture where that word or a variation of that word is used, one of those times is Psalm 50, verse 14 and 15. It says, Make tovda, or thankfulness, or make a confession your sacrifice to God. Keep the vows that you made to the Most High, then call on me when you are in trouble, and I will rescue you. And you will give me glory. Confession as praise. Confession as preparation for worship. Confession as worship. Now look at the beauty of Achan's confessional worship. Verse 20 in chapter 7. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. That's good worship. God, I recognize that this sin is against you. I recognize the covetedness in my own heart, which is the breaking of one of the Ten Commandments. Here's the evidence of where my sin is kept. It's over there. It's in the tent. This is against you, and I choose to worship you. You see it in there? You're going to continue to see it as men went into the tent and got the stuff. Verse 22, So Joshua sent some men to make a search. They ran to the tent. They found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. That sounds like a song we sang a couple of weeks ago. We fall down. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. We're talking about the art of preparing for worship. Preparing for corporate worship. And and so far we've seen that art begin with maybe not fully coming ready. We've seen it uh, take shape with prayers that maybe were self-focused at first and then had them reoriented to the fact that worship is about God. And now we're seeing that preparing for worship includes confession. I think there's two more key ways in our text that God is saying, look, these also need to be part of preparation to gather together. One of those remaining ways is to witness God moving. See, I think when when we pay attention to it, I think when we're aware of God's movement, that is preparation for gathering together to worship. You see, God moved in our passage today. The first time was when he was singling out the individual who had committed the sin. This is chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. God told Joshua to tell the people this, In the morning you must present yourselves by tribes. And the Lord will point out the tribe to which the guilty man belongs. That tribe must come forward with its clans, and the Lord will point out the guilty clan. That clan will come forward, and the Lord will point out the guilty family. And finally, each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one. The one who has stolen what was set apart for destruction will himself be burned with fire, along with everything he has, for he has broken the covenant of the Lord and has done a horrible thing in Israel. So God said, tell Joshua that this is how it's going to happen. And then in verses 16 to 18, that's what took place. God moved. 
And had I been, that, that, been there that day, I would have thought to myself, ah, oh, sometimes when God moves, it's scary. It's terrifying. I mean, can you imagine being as a, one of the, the family of, let's say, part of the family of Achan? And the entire, like, the entire tribe of Israel gets called out. And, and God says, okay, there's, there's 12 tribes. 11 of you go that way. This tribe goes this way. And, okay, there's this many clans in this tribe, so all of you go this way, and this clan go this way. Can you imagine what it would have felt like as, as one of the members of that family, as just the numbers started dwindling down? Let me help you a little bit. I think it would have been a lot like when you're in a group of uh, cars, a large group of cars, and you see police lights a ways back. Because somebody tell me I'm not the only one that their first thought is, He's coming after me. Right? Although he's way back there, there's a large group of cars. But you, you watch in the rearview mirror as these cars start pulling over and the cop keeps going by them. And, and as the cop gets closer and closer, you start picturing every single move you've made in the last couple of miles. Goodness, did I turn my blinker on when I changed lanes? Was I going too fast through the school zone? Are they finally getting me for not buckling my sister up 27 years ago? Ah! Right? Your heart starts to beat. Your palms start to sweat. I think that's how the people in the family of Achan were feeling. They were watching God move. Because sometimes it can be terrifying. But I think as scary as it can be, it is still part of our preparing for worship. It's part of that purification process that God called His people to in chapter 7, verse 13, and chapter 3, verse 5. I think it's what He calls us to when He says, prepare yourselves for worship. Yes, God's movement can be scary, but at times it can also be exhilarating. I mean, I imagine after that process took place, and, and when the stoning of Achan and his family was done, and, and then when God said, okay, now it's time to go. You know, chapter 8, verse 1, when... When God said to uh, Joshua, uh, do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all your fighting men and attack Ai, for I've given you the king, his people, and the town, and the land. You're going to destroy them as you destroyed Jericho and its, and its king. I'm betting that when the people heard God said that to Joshua and they started to move towards the city of Ai, they're probably thinking to themselves, oh, okay, now I know that this is worship. Now I know that God's moving again, and I'm, I'm glad I'm I'm back on his good side. Part of preparing for worship is witnessing God's movement, be it scary or be it exhilarating. That's why we read how we've been seeing God move earlier in our service. It helps us prepare for what he's going to do. Now the final part that I think our text really hits on in terms of preparing for worship is obedience is straight-up obedience. You, I mean, you can just you can allude to that and the fact that Achan didn't obey. Or you can look at how the Israelites did full obedience the second time they attacked Ai. How they attacked, they killed, they kept, they burned the city. But we also see their full obedience as they are uh, preparing for worship. Preparing for that church service I mentioned was going to take place at the beginning of this message. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 30. Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. He followed the commands that Moses, the Lord's servant, had written in the book of instruction. 
Make me an altar from the stones that are uncut and have not been shaped with iron tools. Then on the altar they presented burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And as the Israelites watched, Joshua copied onto the stones of the altar the instructions Moses had given them. These are instructions Moses had given at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 27. There's no need to go back and look at that. So much as I just really want to say what was taking place was full obedience. Another act of worship. Another city had been defeated. And now God says, continue to do exactly what I have commanded you to do through Moses and now through Joshua. Obedience was part of their preparation for worship. I think at this point in the story, after all this has taken place, the Israelites are ready. Church takes place. Verse 34, Joshua then read to them all the blessings and curses Moses had written in the book of instruction. Every word, every command that Moses had ever given was read to the entire assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. You see that? Church happened. A corporate gathering of God's people came together. And they worshipped. Would they have been fully prepared had they not gone through what they had just gone through? I don't know. Had Joshua told them before the attack at Ai, hey, let's gather everybody together. Let's have half the group stand over here by this mountain. Half the group stand over here by this mountain. Let's face each other. And I'm going to read everything to you that Moses ever said. You know, I wonder, would they have come eager? Would they have come ready and prepared or would they have said to themselves, Oh, Joshua, come on, everything? That's going to be long. Joshua, don't you realize I have young kids? Don't you realize I've I've got things going a little bit later in the day? God took them through what he took them through. The defeat at Ai. The leaders on their faces before God. God singling out the man who had sinned, which affected the entire community. The punishment for that sin. Then the, 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 the realigning of plans. The attack at Ai. The complete destruction of, of that city. God took them through all of that as a preparation for worship. So that when Joshua said, let's go to here and let's gather before our God and let's hear what He has to say to us, they would be ready. Talk about the events of a few short days preparing a people group to stand before God. This morning, I've got to wonder, what is God trying to teach us? Is God trying to tell us something about the ways we prepare for worship? Are we coming fully dependent on Him to bring whatever we bring in a worthy way? Are we focused when we come in here on who this is about and what it's for? Are we coming with a sense of awe and wonder and preparation and reverence that we should? Are there times where individuals need to confess sin that may be affecting the entire community? Are there times where we as a community need to confess sin? Are we being called to more awareness of where God is moving? Or to a fuller obedience? 
Or are we being called simply like Joshua and the elders were to end up face down in the dust saying, God, why? But this is for you. I don't know the answer to those questions. I just think I'm supposed to ask them this morning. Today's message is the second time in three weeks where God has brought us back to, you need to prepare. You need to be ready. When I started prepping for this message on Monday, I had no intention of it going this way. So I've got to ask, God, what are you doing? And I'm just going to let it settle. I'm going to let him nudge. I'm going to let him move. I'm going to let him poke and prod and convict and invite I'm going to ask him to do whatever he wants to do. I'm going to see what that does in us, through us, but ultimately for him. God, what is it this morning that you want us to get from this text? What is it that you want us to be aware of? I've ended with a lot of questions, Father, questions that I don't know the answer to. But questions I have sensed you wanting to be asked. So I ask, Lord, in whether it's in this this next song as we worship, whether it's in uh, the rest of today or this next week, I ask that you would continue to move, that you would poke, that you would prod in a way that gets our attention and in a way that spurs us on towards fully preparing or more, more fully preparing, not just for a, a life of worship, but for the times we gather together corporately. God, what is it you want to say to us this morning? I'm going to trust that you will say just that. I'm going to ask that you do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and stand as we sing our last song. Let me give some hard truth really, really quick while you stand. It won't, it won't take long. I want you to hear the fact that as I talk about preparing for worship, it does not matter how much we do. How, it doesn't matter how hard we try. We will never, on our own, be able to come before God ready. We will never come fully prepared. But God still offers hope. And it's beautiful how he does that. Okay, the, the valley where they stoned Achan, they named the Valley of Achor. The valley of trouble. Now listen to what God says as, as, uh, as he's talking to the prophet Hosea. He says, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of Achor into a gateway of hope. Our hope is Jesus Christ. He has prepared a way for us to come and worship fully and worship well. So what we cannot do in terms of preparation for worship, Christ has already done for us. So let's lean into that this week, into the fact that Christ has done the work to allow us to prepare for worship. And as we lean into him, may he bless us and protect us. May he smile upon us and be gracious to us. May he show us his favor and give us his peace. Amen? Amen. And amen. Amen.